0: Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Seen and Heard Industry Updates for the Modern Dairy Family. I'm Melissa Lima, your North Coast and Organic Field Services Representative, and I'm pleased to be bringing you a bonus episode this week. As many of you know, Anthony Raimondo, our awesome labor attorney and advisor, met with Western United members on Monday, July 20th for a special webinar presentation on what employers should know and be doing in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. After a brief presentation, Tony took about an hour of questions from our members, and what follows is a recording of that webinar. If you have any questions or would like follow-up information on anything you've heard in the episode, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can connect with myself, Melissa Lima, at m-l-e-m-a at com. You can always reach out to our office, that's i n f o at wudairies.com and Darby our field rep in the South Valley can be reached at d-a-r-b-y at wudairies.com. As always you can also call us anytime the office number is 209-527-6453. Please enjoy this episode and let us know if you have any questions.
1: Um, One of the things I want to qualify my remarks by is that you do need to make sure that you monitor what's being done in your local area, Um, county by county, and sometimes even city by city. We are seeing uh, different requirements imposed in different places. So um, just be alert that in addition to the state and federal stuff that's coming out, and and most of the stuff is coming from the state, um, there there may be some local things that you need to do as well. So um, in terms of the basic regulations that are out there and um, compliance, um, in terms of uh, what you're required to post, um, you do need to post the COVID-19 General Checklist for Agriculture and Livestock Employers, which, um, Melissa, we sent that to you last week. You have that link, I believe?
0: We do have the link, and we're happy to email it out to the attendees today.
1: Perfect. Perfect. Um, also, and one of those local things is a lot of local areas are putting out information and, and signage and different postings you can put up um, through uh, county and local organizations. If you were to walk through my office at this very moment, you would see lots of signs that we have up. We have signs on our door. We have signs about wearing masks, um, all that have come from our, uh, our local county health department. Um, but the primary thing that you need to pat, post is that, uh, that general checklist. Um, in terms of, of educational materials, you do need to provide training for employees on the, not only the signs and symptoms of coronavirus, but you also need to train them on um, mitigation, which means uh, wearing masks, washing hands, um, social distancing, and um, monitoring themselves, and things like don't come to work if you're feeling sick, make sure that you communicate with us, make sure you report any symptoms, make sure you report if you had contact with somebody who had a positive test. Um, You need to train them on what their obligations are with respect to uh, each other, with respect to themselves, and with respect to the, uh, the workplace. And there's a lot of information out there that you can use for that. If you need help putting together training materials, uh, we're, we're happy to help you. But again, the basics are the need to wear masks, the need to maintain social distancing, hand washing and basic sanitation, and self-monitoring of health, and reporting if, person, if you have exposure to a person who has had symptoms. Um, uh, to make this personal, I had this actually come up in my office. Uh, one of my staff members, uh, lives with her sister, and her sister works with somebody who tested positive for COVID nineteen. Uh, her sister apparently didn't have much contact with this person, but in an abundance of caution, uh, we had our employee here stay home until her sister got the test results back, which fortunately came back negative. So we were able to verify that she was not able to um, she was not not had, did not have contact with somebody who had uh, who had the illness. Um, We get a lot of questions on what to do if an employee tests positive. So first and foremost, when an employee reports a positive test, um, one of the first things to ask for is documentation of the positive test. And I've been hearing from people that we have doctor's offices that are refusing to provide information on privacy grounds or HIPAA grounds. And it's generally true that doctors are going to be reluctant to provide you with information. That's why you need to have the employee get the information from their doctor and the employee provide it to you. Both both state and federal agencies have verified that we are entitled to confirmation of those positive test results uh, in order to treat somebody as um, a confirmed test for coronavirus. So, you are entitled to get that information, but your source of information is primarily the employee. Um, If the employee either refuses or is difficult in terms of providing that information, you can go directly to the doctor. And we actually have some form letters that we use here um, that we've been using for many years, even prior to coronavirus. When you want work restrictions from uh, from a doctor, the state uh, and federal regulations authorize you to request and receive Uh, work restrictions. This falls under disability discrimination laws, strangely enough. But you are entitled to ask for certain information from the doctors and they're required to provide it. We've got a little letter that can be tailored to your use that cites those regulations and tells them what what we're entitled to receive. So if you have trouble getting information from a doctor or from an employee, one of the biggest things I'm cautioning employers on is don't assume that the employee is lying to you and don't assume that the employee is being difficult with you. We're seeing a lot of cases where it's actually the employee is trying to be as cooperative as they can be and they're getting a runaround from their doctor's office. So understand that in a lot of cases, the employee may be as frustrated as you are and we want to work with our employees until we have some reason uh, uh, to believe otherwise. So establishing that line of communication with the employee um, and confirming that they meet um, the definition from the CDC for community exposure is really important. Um, administer any applicable leave laws that they may be eligible for, uh, which is primarily what's called the FFCRA um, and California's supplemental paid leave. Both of these laws are the same uh, for the most part, and they provide employees with the right to take up to two weeks, which is 10 days or 80 hours. Um, for part-time employees, there's a formula that they use to determine the number of hours that's based on, on what they normally work on their average working hours. Um, but for most of our dairy employees, you know, they're working more than eight hours a day and oftentimes more than five days a week. So they're going to be looking at that 10 days and 80 hours of, uh, of paid time off under the supplemental paid leave laws. You are entitled to a payroll tax credit um, for the federal Uh, emergency sick leave, so it's going to be important to maintain contact with your tax provider so that you can get the payroll tax credit in the event that you do have to pay out this sick leave. Um, A question that has actually come up um, recently, and within the last week, I've had this three times, where an employee who's previously taken the 80 hours of paid sick leave wants to take it again. They only get it once. Um, The way the law is written, they don't get it more than once, so once they've used it, um, that's it. They don't get to do it again. Um, the other strange one that I had come up is, uh, one of my clients, it wasn't a dairy client, but it was an agricultural client, uh, had a very big problem because they had an employee who not only tested positive, but was received a County quarantine order, which is an order by the County health department to stay at home. She brought that order to the company, um, in order to get her two weeks of paid sick leave. The problem was that she brought the order two weeks after it was issued. She was ordered to stay at home and isolate herself. She did not do so. She came to work and exposed who knows how many people. Um, and then she produced the, uh, the document after the, the, the time for quarantine had already expired, expecting to be able to get the sick leave after the period that she was ordered to self-isolate. Um, Not only was that person denied the quarantine, but she was actually terminated from her employment for um, violating the quarantine order and uh, exposing her coworkers. So there are some strange things that come up. Just uh, be aware. But in most cases, we are finding the employees to be pretty cooperative. Um, There is uh, a a pamphlet that you're required to provide on the LWDA. That's the Labor and Workforce Development Agency website. Uh, Melissa, I believe we sent you that link as well, did we not?
0: We do have that. And we're again, happy to send it out. Also, both of those links will be live on our website this afternoon.
1: Perfect. Perfect. Um, And again, the the paid sick leave is something that you can use to secure that documentation from the employee. Um, Now the paid sick leave covers more than just a positive test. The, uh, The paid sick leave also covers a situation where they have been ordered to self-isolate due to exposure to another person or because they're a suspected coronavirus case. But again, they still have to provide you with documentation in order to get that paid sick leave. So that documentation could be a positive test. It could be a doctor's note that says, you know, suspected uh, coronavirus or uh, community exposure to coronavirus, you know, recommended to self-isolate. So it could be a doctor's note, it could be a positive test, or in many cases, we're getting the, um, the actual county health department orders telling a person to stay home. Any of those things will be sufficient to, uh, to trigger the paid sick leave, but you do not have to pay the paid sick leave without that documentation, and you really shouldn't pay it without that documentation um unfortunately and this is the nature of the the world that i operate in um fortunately it wasn't in agriculture but i have a client who's in the uh the it business the computer industry and they have an employee that they are sort of jousting with who keeps insisting he's been told to stay at home but he won't provide them any documentation to support that um for the time being he's at home but he's not being paid because of course he's uh he's not, uh, he's not receiving the, uh, he hasn't given the documentation to receive the emergency paid sick leave. So if you have an exposed employee, then you need to determine which employees have had close contact with that person. Um, which the definition of close contact under the OSHA regulations, which is sort of the universal standard now is a person who was within six feet of that person for at least 15 minutes. In our dairy exposures, fortunately, especially with our outside labor, we're finding that we actually typically have a fairly small number of people who've been within six feet for at least 15 minutes. You know, other than milkers working together in the barn, most of our guys tend to be pretty spread out from each other. Um, so that helps to limit the uh, the number of exposed employees. Um, and that'll be the number of people who've had close contact with the exposed employees over the two days before symptoms first started or the employee's last day if they're asymptomatic. Um, The further back you can contact trace over the prior 14 days, the better off you're gonna be. And then as soon as possible, you're required to alert everyone who's had that close contact with the positive employee and provide them with the CDC guidance, including information on the symptoms of COVID-19. If they're at work, you need to send them home immediately and decontaminate their workspaces. You are not to identify the person who tested positive by name or the person who they were exposed to. You need to protect the confidentiality of the person who was sick. So what you could say a typical sample message is that someone in the workplace has tested positive for COVID-19 and you were identified as a potential close contact according to the guidelines. Um, If you're at work, please get ready to leave as quickly as you can once you get home. Find a place to self-isolate and monitor yourself for any symptoms, please see your doctor and review the CDC information. We're here to support you and reach out to us with any further questions or assistance and give them someone that they can contact. Um, Because of the need for staffing, a lot of agricultural employers, especially in dairy, want their employees to go get tested right away if they fall into this category, which you're, you're entitled to require somebody to go get a test. But if you do require somebody to get tested, remember you have to pay for the test um, and the best thing to do is really to make those arrangements for the employee if you can and make sure you're covering the cost of it. Um, you also need to alert all other employees who did not have that close contact, but again, without sharing the name of the positive in, uh, individuals or those in close contact with that positive individual. And all you need to tell them is, uh, for example, one of our employees recently tested positive for COVID-19 and is now so- self-isolating. Close contacts have been informed and we're also asked to leave the workplace and self-isolate. The workspaces have been decontaminated following the CDC guidelines. Uh, If you were not already told that you were a close contact, that you are not one, remember, we want to put their minds at ease if we can. Um, And then let them know if they have questions about COVID-19 or their situation. They can call their doctor, they can visit the CDC website, or they can ask questions to the company and provide them with with a contact person. One of the critical things for dairy is that you're considered a critical infrastructure employer. And the CDC actually recommends that critical infrastructure infrastructure workers, which includes dairy workers, be allowed to continue to work following a potential exposure as long as they're asymptomatic and as long as additional precautions are implemented to protect them uh, and the community. So as long as they're asymptomatic, you can continue to have them work um, unless uh, unless their diagnosis is confirmed. If there's a potential exposure, uh, which is that six feet with uh, 15 minutes within six feet of a of a confirmed person, you want to pre-screen every employee who's uh, exposed every shift. That means checking their temperature and checking for symptoms. Monitor the employee throughout the day. If they have no symptoms or temperature, they should self-monitor. Uh, an employee who is a suspected exposure, if they if they're asymptomatic and they're continuing to work, they should be required to wear a mask at all times for 14 days after the exposure. Uh, enforce social distancing and disinfect and clean their workspaces. Um, uh, again, if there's been an expo- a suspected exposure and then an employee comes back and says, hey, uh, I'm getting a medical diagnosis or I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I've been advised by a medical provider that I need to self-quarantine, when in doubt, Um, cover that sick leave and don't fire anybody for taking time off to get a medical diagnosis. If they've had a test and they're waiting for a result, again, they should be able to provide you with documentation that they've had the test and they can get the sick leave while they're waiting for the test results. Don't give them medical answers or, or, or medical advice. Uh, If they start asking you questions about their medical situation, tell them to call their doctor or go to the CDC website. Um, In terms of the length of their isolation, the CDC guidance is that uh, if a person is symptomatic, they need to be isolated until three days after their recovery, which means a resolution of fever without the use of any medication and improvement in respiratory symptoms, and at least 10 days have passed since symptoms have first appeared. So you go back to the day that they first had symptoms, and then you fast forward 10 days. Uh, Once symptoms have resolved completely, that means no fever, no respiratory symptoms, and they're not taking any medication to control their fever, then three days from that point. So it has to be all of those things in place. If there are no symptoms and there's been at least 10 days since the last positive test result, um, uh, then you can return them to work without necessarily requiring a negative test for them to do so. Um, So that's the basic... uh, uh, guidelines as far as the COVID-19 regulations and the, uh, and the sick pay. Um, I think you had some uh, member questions that were submitted, Melissa.
0: Yeah. So Tony, the first question, and for those who've listened to our podcast, some of these may be a little bit repetitive from last week's podcast, but the first question we had was, um, on July 4th, my neighbor received a visit from OSHA compliance department. Can you tell me what I should have posted in case OSHA shows up at my dairy?
1: Well, you need to make sure that all of your OSHA postings, the general industry postings, are uh, current. OSHA has some recommended postings um, for, the, um, uh, for COVID-19, which I'm encouraging people to put up. Right now, we're not seeing um, a very aggressive approach. By uh, OSHA on enforcement of regulations with respect to um, to the uh, the coronavirus, uh, and I'm actually emailing you right now, uh, Melissa. So maybe you can share this with the members. Uh, a link to the OSHA page that provides guidance on uh, on COVID 19 Perfect. And maybe we we can distribute that to folks as well. Um, so far, what we're seeing with uh, with COVID-19 is. Um, Cal OSHA really just wanting people to know um, what, they are, what they are supposed to do. And they do have some specific guidance um, uh, in, for agriculture. That daily checklist for agricultural employees is available in both English and Spanish. They have um, infection prevention for agricultural employees in English and Spanish, which um, I really enc- have been encouraging people to post. They have a a worker protection video in English English and Spanish uh, that you can use to train people with. It's actually also in Mixteco uh, if you have workers who um, are indigenous workers from Mexico. Um, And there's a great deal of of information there that I think is is helpful that that you can can post and provide to people. Mainly, OSHA seems to be interested in in getting information disseminated now. So for the most part, what I'm hearing back from employers is they came out to talk to us. They gave us a little bit of guidance. They told us a few things. We have yet to see any COVID-related citations. Now, that doesn't mean that's not going to happen. I have a client who has a very, how do you say, tense relationship with Cal OSHA. And what they received was a letter from Cal OSHA um, that said that, uh, they had received information that a, a worker had tested positive and they wanted to know what we had done in response to it. And that if we didn't satisfy them and didn't respond to them, that uh, that we had responded correctly to it, that they were going to come out and do an investigation. So we'll see what happens with that. We did respond with a letter and we'll see if that, um, if that one results uh, in an investi- investigation and potentially a citation. Um, but uh, mainly, it's making sure that you have that checklist posted and that you've trained people. Um, obviously, they're going to be watching for people. Uh, if, you, if they're not wearing their masks, um, you should at least have the masks available to your workers. And I mentioned this on the podcast. Uh, I have found a pretty good supplier uh, online for masks. So if you guys are having trouble getting the disposable masks, let me know, uh, because we have a pretty good website that we've been using that seems to be getting them out to folks within a few days.
0: Great. I think Darby had kind of a follow-up question about the mask situation. Yes. Okay. I think I'm unmuted. Can you hear me, Melissa? Yep. Okay. Um, Yeah, I know you talked a little bit about the mask, Tony. We've talked about this before, but I think a lot of producers have questions about their responsibility for member or for their employees that are or are not wearing the masks, if they've provided them or not. I think a lot of Um, Dairymen want to know if they're going to be held responsible if OSHA shows up and employees aren't wearing the masks. Would you mind kind of touching on that a little bit for us?
1: Yeah, because, um, you know, a lot of the dairy workplaces are outside and a lot of dairy workplaces allow for social distancing. But the statewide order right now is that if social distancing is not possible in the workplace, um, then uh, they need to be wearing masks. So you should certainly instruct them to wear masks. You should absolutely have masks available. There's no question that the employer has an obligation to provide the masks. Um, I'm recommending to my clients, and it's, re- it's advice that I have followed for myself, um, that you post you know, face masks required signs kind of all over the place uh, and make sure that, that the employees know where the masks are. Obviously we're not really that worried about a guy who's out on a tractor by himself, or, you know, a lot of times we have feeders that work by themselves, but we tend to have milkers that work in closer proximity. And if that's, you know, some of it depends on your individual barn because obviously there's a lot of variances in the industry uh, in how people work. Um, I'm not at this point encouraging anybody to discipline workers or certainly not to fire workers over not wearing masks. Um, I think posting the signs, encouraging them to wear them, is probably the best way to go. Um, I mean, that's what I'm doing in my own office, for example. Um, I have masks available for my employees. We have signs up everywhere, but we're pretty distant from each other here. Most of the folks here either have private offices or desks that are at least six feet apart. So I'm not seeing a lot of mask usage amongst my employees, and I'm not on them or, you know, lecturing them that they need to wear them. Um, I make sure they know that they're available and that the signs are up and when I have when I have members of the public come into my office. Um, I do require everybody to wear masks because I, you know, I don't know who's in, in here and who's around when, when I have members of the public come in. That's not really as much of a concern um, at a dairy. So I think it's sufficient to train people to post signs that masks are required. And to you know, remind them that when they are within that six feet of somebody else, they really should be wearing a mask. And then make sure you have the masks available.
0: Great. Tony, another question that we've been getting several times. Again, we, we did cover this in the podcast, but just for our listeners here and, and everyone who has questions, feel free to start chiming in. But um, a question about travel, a lot of employees this time of year travel back to visit their families in Mexico or maybe just go on family vacations um, elsewhere. And so folks have been wondering what precautions they should take if employees do decide to travel and should they be put on a quarantine for 14 days after they travel?
1: The answer, the simple answer to that is no. Um, we do not have to presume that just because someone has been traveling that they've been exposed to the virus. Um, If an employee comes and tells you that they're going to be traveling, I think it's a good idea when they ask you for the time off to remind them, Hey, be careful who you're exposed to. Please limit your contact, you know, social distance, wear masks. Um, And then, you know, when they return, you can ask them if they've had any symptoms and you certainly should check them for fever when they return but you're not required to automatically have them quarantine when they return.
0: Okay, great. Are there any other questions out there? We have a few more from um, members who submitted questions early, but is anyone on the call um, that would like to ask a question? Okay, Tony, you covered a little bit um, earlier in your talk, um, and we'll get into a little more specifics because as we've said um, many times, it's very specific based on dairy location and situation. But um, for example, one dairy um, sent in an email last week, they had a worker who um, was feeling a little bit ill, but maybe not the classic symptoms that we are aware of, of coronavirus. They went to the doctor, they were, put um, off of work for a couple of days, but not a full 14 days. And um, they were hesitant to answer questions, both the employee and the doctor about what was going on. And maybe it was more of a personal issue, but could you let us know what a producer should do as far as an employee that maybe they're having trouble communicating with or a doctor's office that isn't able to share information about why they may have put put an employee on leave?
1: The best thing that you can do is ask the employee to provide work restrictions from the doctor. So the law entitles you to get work restrictions. And what that means is that the law entitles you to get information that the employee needs to be off work and the basic reason why they need to be off work. You're not entitled to the details of their their medical records or anything like that. But you are entitled to some basic information. And it's easy to presume these days that that all health issues start coming back to the, to the virus. But again, I'll give you a personal example. One of my attorneys here called in sick last week. And, you know, when he returned, um, I actually went into his office and asked him if he had been having any, any coronavirus like symptoms, because I want to make sure I protect the rest of my employees. And as it turned out the the issue that he had was completely unrelated to the virus. So to some degree, you have to accept what, the medical providers tell you check them for symptoms. You know, you guys should all have, we have one here in my office, you should all have an infrared thermometer so you could check people's temperatures um, without touching them. Um, so you certainly should check people for fevers in those situations. Um, you should ask them before they come back to work, um, to, to confirm that they are asymptomatic and they have not had any coronavirus uh, type symptoms. And you should require them to provide um, work restrictions that meet the, uh, the state regulations on, um, from the uh, Department of Fair Employment and Housing on, uh, on work restrictions.
0: Great. Tony, we have a question in the chat. Um, uh, one of our members joined a little bit later, so you sort of covered this, but what, um, what's the requirement with FFCRA for ag employers under 50 employees, or is there a difference um, based on number of employees?
1: I'm sorry, can you repeat that?
0: Yes. What's the requirement with FFCRA for ag employers under 50 employees?
1: There's no there, There's no difference. The FFCRA applies to all employers under 500.
0: Okay, great. And just really quickly, for those listening that may not know, Tony, could you really quickly let us know what FFCRA stands yeah,
1: the, for? Yeah, the FFCRA provides emergency sick leave for coronavirus for, um, for qualifying reasons. Um, so, for example, if an employee uh, is ordered by their doctor to self-isolate or has a positive coronavirus test, um, then uh, the FFCRA would provide that uh, 10 days or 80 hours of sick leave um, to cover that period of time.
0: Great. Thank you. Um,
1: the, I'm sorry. Let me make sure there's one one. Difference that I that I point out there there actually is one that I forgot. Um, there is a, a small business exemption um, that uh, if if allowing the sick leave would um, jeopardize the viability of the business. There's actually a small business exemption for for businesses under 50 employees, but I've not seen anyone qualify for that. Uh, and I would be I would be hesitant um, uh, to utilize that. The other issue of of fifty employees under the the FF uh, the ffcra is that um, if you are um, if you are uh, subject to the FMLA, um, there is a a two thirds uh, pay requirement for uh, a employee who has to remain home because the child's school is closed and as it looks like in a lot of places uh children's school is um it looks like children's schools are not going to be open in a lot of places we may start seeing this become an issue again which is i had forgotten about it because it hasn't really been an issue through the summer but as the fall comes around that may be an issue um melissa i'm gonna email you and i think this would be helpful for everybody um a question and answer that we have on the FFCRA, maybe you can post that on the website. Absolutely. And I wanna to emphasize to everybody on the call that um, um, you guys can always feel free to call my office if questions come up that you don't know how to answer. You do get some free consultation as part of your membership with Western United Dairymen. So we're always, uh, we're always happy to help um, uh, Western United members with questions that come up, but if you don't believe me and you're terrified that you're going to be charged a fee if you call me, what you can do is you can call Melissa or call Darby or call anybody from Western United, and they will call me and they won't tell me who you are, so I have to bill Melissa and not you.
0: I'll just send it
1: right to Anya, so we'll be good to go. <laughs> <laughs> See, the, the buck all stops with Anya. So um, yeah. <laughs> in, in all seriousness, I really don't want you guys to be afraid to ask questions because you're afraid of what it's going to cost you. Um, you know, Melissa and Darby can tell you that I've got a, a long history in the industry of being, being available to producers with the little quick questions that come up. I can't think of the time where I actually build somebody for something like that. I just, I want to make sure you guys have good information available to you, which is why I'm actually using this call as an opportunity to send some emails to, to Melissa with things that I think will be, um, will be really helpful to you guys.
0: Great. Um, okay. Well, we have a couple more questions I'm just bringing up. Um,
1: And actually, I just realized I forgot something as I'm thinking about the FFCRA. There is an FFCRA poster that you need to put up.
0: And that is available.
1: I think you guys um, should have that on your website.
0: Yep. Perfect. Tony, I have a new question in the chat. Um, A member has asked, can I tell an employee not to go on vacation at this time? Can I deny an employee their vacation at this time?
1: My question would be for what reason?
0: Well, I think they probably feel a little bit nervous about everything that's going on.
1: Um, I don't think that, I mean, so generally the way that vacation works, uh, generally the way that vacation works is that the employer can control whether or not the employee takes vacation. You can authorize or deny vacation for any reason uh, other than a discriminatory reason. I would be reluctant to tell employees that they cannot take a vacation Um, simply because of the pandemic that's going on, because what's going to happen is you're going to put employees in a place where they're going to lie to you. So if you tell the employee, look, um, I, I don't want you to take your vacation because I'm afraid you might be exposed to the virus. What the employee is going to tell you is, oh, don't worry, boss. I'm just taking the time off. I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm just going to stay home. And then they're going to go wherever they want to go. Um, what, I, what I would recommend you do is if they insist on taking a vacation, let them take the vacation. But before they go, remind them that you know, they, they need to be very careful about who they have contact with and what they do and social distancing and mask wearing um, so that they exercise some caution while they're out there in the world. But um, we really can't control all the comings and goings of our employees. And I think you're going to create more problems for yourself. Um, as I said, if you, if you try to control those things, like if you just outright deny the vacation, they're going to resent it. And if you tell them, well, I'm denying the vacation because I don't want you to travel. They'll just tell you, well, I'm not going to travel. And then they're going to go travel anyway. Um, so I think the better way to do it is to be honest with them about what your concerns are that, Hey, look, we don't, we don't want to have you go on vacation and then come back and have to lose valuable time from work. So we're asking you to be careful while you're out and about. um, And certainly when they come back, screen them for symptoms, you know, ask them if they've had any symptoms, ask them if they've had any exposure, check their temperature. Uh, And even if you want to make them wear a mask for, you know, 10 days, 14 days after they return, you can certainly do so.
0: Great. Thank you, Tony. Um, another question that came up in the chat is what are my obligations as far as an employee who identifies themselves as high risk? Um,
1: there are no special precautions that are, that have been imposed for, um, people who fall into high risk categories. I think, um, for people who are in high-risk categories, if you want to have a conversation with them, uh, again, about um, taking precautions and being careful, um, if you wanted to try to put them into a, a role in your business where they can re- they can maintain social distancing from others, I think that's a good idea. But there aren't really any medical requirements or legal requirements that, um, that are imposed for you to provide some special concern for, um, high risk people. I have a high risk person. Actually, I have two high risk people in my office and I've talked to both of them about being careful and about maintaining social distancing. But at at the end of the day, these are also adults who have the right to make their own choices. Um, I had one employee um, who wasn't particularly high risk, but she lives with some elderly relatives who, when the shelter in place order uh, was lifted and everybody came back to work, um, she actually um, quit the job rather than come back to the office here because she was concerned about uh, potential exposure for her high risk loved ones. So people have to make their own choices.
0: Okay, Tony, we have another question in our chat. It says, um, what about employees having friends and family over at their home? Can we tell them no visitors at the dairy?
1: Well, the simple answer is no, because they live there. They can have people if they want to. Um, again, I think you can a- advise them. Uh, most of this is, is county by county in terms of what the restrictions are with respect to um, um, social gatherings. You can certainly comply with what's in effect in your, in your particular county. Let me just take a quick look at the current uh, California shelter in place order. So yeah, it's very, it's very, very vague what type of gatherings are allowed uh, and what's not allowed. Um, probably, I would say, you know, little gatherings in the home are probably not prohibited unless you're in a, uh, a, a county that's on a watch list where the local county has has limited the, gather, the number of people permitted for gatherings. But I think it's perfectly legitimate for you to talk to them and say, hey, we want you to be careful about this and make sure you maintain social distancing. uh, Make sure that you're careful because if you get sick, you could lose time from work and you could get other people sick. But just because they live on the dairy doesn't mean that you get to control everything that they do in terms of comings and goings.
0: Okay, great. Um, I have another question coming in here, Tony um just a second i i can see someone typing um i this is a a person is concerned about other service providers that come to the dairy i know personally for us at western united we are not um we're not going out to dairies unless there's something absolutely critical that we need to attend to at a farm. We're doing most of our stuff in person, but that doesn't help for delivery drivers, milk truck drivers and things like that. So um, I, I think the question is, what should we do about outside folks coming on the dairy, but the kind of basically just allowing your employees to keep appropriate distance. Am I correct?
1: Yeah, and I think it's a good idea to require outside people to wear masks. I mean, that's what I'm doing in, in, in my office here is that anybody from the outside who comes to the office um, is required to wear a mask when they come in here. And then the meetings that we have, we make sure we, for social distancing purposes, we segregate those meetings so I don't have anybody wandering through my office. If they come to my office, they go right to our conference room, and then our conference room is big enough that we can sit six feet apart from each other. My insurance broker was here two days ago to talk about uh, my employee uh, health plan. Um, And we socially distanced in the conference room and she wore a mask until she was seated in the conference room.
0: Great. Tony, another question has come up about sort of the fluidity of the situation. How is the best way producers can keep up on the most current laws and regulations related to how they handle employees during the pandemic?
1: Well, I would encourage everybody to sign up for our um, email list. Um, You can call our office and uh, we'll be happy to sign you up. We've been putting out information through email. Um, The California Department of Public Health, which is cdph.ca.gov, is a good place to go. OSHA's website is is a good place to go as well. And honestly, just keeping your eye on, and especially your local news, because your, uh, your local, and you can also look at the websites for your local county department of health, um, as well as your local city officials and county board of supervisors and folks like that. It's very difficult these days because a lot of stuff is coming out from a lot of different places. Um, the thing that scares me the most is the amount of rumors that are, are spreading around that, you know, people say, oh, we can do this. We can't do that what I would suggest is if somebody tells you that you can or can't do something, verify it for yourself first, Uh, you know, look for the website for the appropriate uh, entity and look for the actual order rather than a a newspaper article. And if you're having trouble getting straight answers, go right to your Western United Dairyman rep or call our office because um, Melissa and Darby are certainly very, very good about calling us when they have questions that they don't know the answers to. And I think I'm going to go out on a limb here. I think they would both agree that my office is pretty responsive about getting them quick answers so that the, the dairy producers know what they need to do.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, always, always ask. I mean, there's there's no such thing as a, a bad question or a dumb question. And we're happy to to help however we can and connect you with the right folks. Um, Tony, a question just came up Um On a dairy, there was recently the potential that all employees were exposed to COVID-19 because an employee came to work after being exposed and testing positive without letting his employer know. Okay. What should dairies do if all employees need to quarantine or are ill?
1: Well, this is a great question because this goes back to one of the things I discussed earlier. Dairy is considered part of the critical infrastructure. So dairy employees do not have to send employees home as long as they're asymptomatic. So in that situation, anybody who was actually having symptoms needed to be sent home to self-isolate. But other workers on the dairy who had contact but had not shown symptoms um, should be required to socially distance to wear and to wear masks and to monitor their symptoms. Um, so again, the other part of it is in that situation, those asymptomatic people that are continuing to come to work, then the pre-screening, every employee, every shift of checking temperature and symptoms becomes mandatory. Um, Monitoring employees throughout the day, checking their temperature throughout the day and watching them for symptoms. Also important, having them self-monitor, critical. Um, Wearing a mask at all times for 14 days since the exposure, social distancing and, and in, uh, intensifying the the disinfecting and cleaning of workspaces um, after they're used. So for the folks that are showing symptoms, those folks have to be um, isolated. But the folks that are not showing symptoms in the critical infrastructure sector can be required to work provided we take those precautions.
0: Okay, Great. Uh, Tony, another question on the chat. They asked, can Tony touch on close contact again, mainly in the milk parlor? two milkers are in our parlor, not within six feet for a full 15 minutes, but they do pass within six feet frequently during the shift.
1: That technically does not meet the requirements for close contact. Um, The the requirements for close contact, remember, and this should be very familiar to, to dairy producers. Most of these rules are written without, by people who can't even imagine what a dairy looks like, much less has ever set foot on a dairy. So they they write these one size fits all employees, I mean rules for our employees. Um, So that technically would not meet the requirement for close contact because it doesn't meet that sustained 15 minutes of contact within six feet. However, um, what I would recommend to a dairy in that situation is if one of those two milkers tests positive, I think you should treat the other one who works the same shift. As close contact, just in an abundance of caution, because there is a lot that we don't know about this virus. And this, you know, six feet for 15 minutes is somewhat arbitrary. The reality is that in most milking parlors that I've seen, when you have the two milkers working in the in the kind of pattern that you've described, um, they pass each other a multitude of times during the shift. And you know, I'm being admittedly conservative here, but I would recommend treating that as close contact, even though it doesn't technically meet the requirements for close contact.
0: Okay, good advice. Um, Another question came up. um, Do you have advice for employers dealing with social distancing in conjunction with high heat temperatures in regards to break times and meals?
1: Yeah, it's very difficult um, because obviously, you know, a lot of the shade structures and things like that are forcing people into a a closer space. And this is going to sound like a cop-out, but in some ways, maybe it is. All you can do is the best that you can. Um, and if you need to put up additional uh, shade spaces, you, uh, that's a good idea if, if it's possible for you. I mean, there's such variance from, uh, from place to place. I have one client who uh, put up uh, multiple shade structures on their ranch to try to deal with this. Um, but, you know, I have a client, uh, again, this is not a dairy client. This is a, a seasonal harvesting client who harvests a commodity that has an extremely short season. So they have an intense harvesting operation where they employ a couple of thousand people for like six weeks in these large, you know, large crews of a hundred people or more. And what they ended up doing with meals, especially is staggering meal times to try to limit the number of people that were eating at the same time so that people could spread out a little bit. Um, So I don't mean to be glib. I realize that in a lot of situations, this is difficult. And in some cases it may be impossible. All we can do is the best that we can. And if I, I think in situations where it's possible to do something, you should certainly do it. And that means being creative about staggering times, creating additional shady areas, um, creating different opportunities for people to take breaks in different spaces if you can. But also at some point we have to accept the limitations of what we're dealing with.
0: Okay, Tony, the next question that came up is what, guidance can you provide in regards to masks, cloth versus disposable? What is better? What do you recommend?
1: Well, from a practical standpoint, um, in terms of the the health department guidance that's out there, the CDC guidance that's out there, they're not really drawing any distinction between um, surgical masks and disposable cloth masks. Um, If you go down the rabbit hole on masks, and I'm going to avoid doing it for purposes of this webinar, there's a whole lot of information out there about masks and everything from bandanas to cloth masks, to double ply cloth masks, to t-shirts, to surgical masks, to N95. And you can go on and on and on. And, you know, someday if we're all in a social environment, um, I'll kind of tell you what I've learned about masks and kind of what my thoughts are on that, but that stuff really isn't that helpful for these purposes. For these purposes, the law and the regulatory authorities are not treating the two as any different at all. As a labor lawyer, it would be my preference that you have a large supply of disposable masks. The biggest concern with the disposable masks, and I'm sure some of you are thinking this already, is litter. Because people will throw them on the ground all over the place. Well, one of the things you can do is remind people not, not to throw them uh, on the ground and to make sure that there's you know, garbage cans or other types of receptacles where they can throw those things away. And you can discipline people for litter. It's perfectly legitimate to do that. The reason why I'm not crazy about the idea of the cloth masks, uh, particularly on dairies, is because over the years I've dealt with a lot of issues on dairies that provided uniforms with issues related to the cleaning of the uniforms and who's responsible for that. If you require cloth masks, A, you have to provide them. And B, if you require cloth masks and you have people reuse them, you need to clean them. Now, Some folks are doing that. I know of one dairy that is doing cloth masks, and they're collecting them daily, um, and they're cleaning them with their, you know, with with other things that they clean around the dairies, and they're returning them. You know, always having a clean supply uh, on hand for the employees. So for some people, that might work for you. Um, But the thing that I would be cautious about is that if you are providing cloth masks and you haven't thought about cleaning them, um, you need to think about it because. The backdrop of all of this that we all need to be aware of, and I think that dairy employers are acutely aware of some of the things that can happen in in the world that we live in, there is a lot, a lot of opportunistic activism going on right now surrounding uh, coronavirus. Uh, down here in the San Joaquin Valley, we have a, uh, there's a pistachio plant here that's had protesters every single day, and they have the United Farm Workers demanding an OSHA investigation because they're claiming that this employer has been um, basically, you know, playing fast and loose with the employee's safety with respect to coronavirus. There are entities like CRLA and then lots of other entities that are hostile to you guys as dairy employers. Not having clean masks is a great way for them to grab media attention all it takes is for them to have a worker holding up a filthy mask on uh some sort of news broadcast or internet you know video and saying how they worked at such and such dairy and the dairy made them wear a mask but didn't clean them and made them wear dirty masks and stuff like that is something that sadly it's a sad reality of our times but it's something that especially in the dairy and livestock industry You guys have dealt with environmental, you've dealt with um, animal rights, and you have a lot of that, forgive me for a bad pun, a lot of that same animal is present in this environment where people are looking at an opportunity to be a hero and make this their activist moment. And uh, I worry about that stuff circling around and coming to focus on industries like dairy that people don't understand. And don't have personal experience with. And I think if we're not careful about how we handle the mask thing, we could end up being an easy target. So my sort of default position on this is a large supply of disposable surgical masks. If you prefer to do the cloth masks, you can, as long as you have a process in place to collect them and clean them and make sure that the workers have an ample supply of clean and sanitized masks.
0: Great, thank you. Tony, another question has come through. What about having the use of face shields available in particular, milkers? Um, with the high heat temperatures, the milkers don't like to use
1: masks. Especially if they don't like to use masks. I think the face shields are a good idea. Um, I think the face shields in general are probably a pretty good idea, a pretty good solution for agriculture. You know, again, they haven't been clear with us on exactly what quote unquote complies and what doesn't. Um, But I would certainly say that if you can't get your milkers to wear masks without going to war on them, I'd rather have them wear face shields than uh, uh, than wear nothing. Uh, But again, you have to provide them and um, you have to make sure that those things are cleaned on the uh, on the clock. So don't have people taking face shields home and cleaning them at home um, because that's a potential wage and hour issue.
0: Okay, great. Tony, another question kind of a a, sort of along the same lines. Um, How do you suggest enforcing new rules with employees regarding coronavirus? we have written some employees up, but we obviously do not want to fire our valuable employees over their lack of compliance.
1: Um, I'm really reluctant to fire people during this time. Um, as you point out, the employees are pretty valuable to us. Um, and what I'm seeing um, you know, those of you who know me know that I can be as, as cynical as anybody, especially given, you know, what I do and what I see every day. But in general, you know, what we've seen in agriculture, and it's not just dairy, it's in agricultural employment in general, is that we actually have, and I, again, those who know me, you've heard me say this before, we have an excellent workforce in agriculture. We have really, you know, the, the, the vast majority of agricultural employees are decent, honest, hardworking people, and, and dairy is no exception to that. And for the most part, our employees are doing the best that they can. So unless you have somebody who's just being outrageously uh, unreasonable about it, I think treating it as an opportunity for education and opportunity for feedback, um, I think that's really the best way to go in terms of people not complying. You know, If you see employees being too physically close to each other, just remind them. And, you know, you can keep a record of it. This will be the one time I tell you that I'm less concerned about the documentation than I am about the message. Um, You know, I I don't want you firing people for refusing to wear masks. I don't want you firing people for, you know, getting too close to their, to their coworkers. The only person in all of this time that I've recommended a termination for was the one that I mentioned earlier who violated a quarantine order to come to work and expose the rest of her coworkers, because I felt that that was such a, 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 blatant violation of safety. And it was, a, I mean, she could have gone to jail for that. Those county quarantine orders, by the way, um, are enforceable under criminal law. And if you violate a county quarantine order, to misdemeanor, you can go to jail for that. Um, but that was a pretty extreme situation. For the most part, what we've seen is employees who are pretty cooperative. Um, they're doing the best that they can. And, you know, as has been pointed out in some of these questions, Our employees have particular challenges that the regulatory regulatory authorities don't understand, you know, especially when it comes to wearing masks. And the heat is no small challenge in in agriculture when it comes to the masks. And, um, you know, I love the idea of face shields for milkers. Um, If they don't want to wear masks, you know, let's communicate with our workers. We're seeing that farm workers want to keep working. Honestly, I think it's one of the reasons I have a little bit different reaction to this whole crisis than the the general public because so many of the calls that I get every day are people who are being required to stay home, but they feel okay and they want to come back to work and they're calling their employer. Can I come back to work? Can I come back to work? I want to come back to work. Um, Our employees want to do a good job and they want to do the job of producing food for for the community. So if you're having problems with somebody wearing a mask that you think should be wearing a mask, Start with talking to them and try to understand why it is they don't want to wear a mask. And maybe there is an easy solution like a, like a plastic face shield uh, that will come to the forefront. And, and if, they're not, if, if you don't feel like they're cooperating, ask them to cooperate. You can explain to them, look, this is hard for all of us. We know that. We understand that. But we do have these rules that we have to follow. And we're, we're hoping that everything goes back to normal soon. And ask them. You know, We're having a problem with getting you on board with this. Is there, is there a problem that you're having that maybe we can talk through? Why is it that you don't want to wear a mask? Why is it that you don't want to socially distance? Um, I would rather deal with this through dialogue and communication with our workers than through discipline.
0: Great, and again, kind of along the same lines, Tony, a question came up about employees who um, are frequently attending social gatherings, including weddings a funeral and quinceaneras. What, what can I do to implore them to maintain better social distancing?
1: All you can do is tell them to be careful and screen them for symptoms when they come to work. Um, I understand how this goes. Two of my employees have gone to Las Vegas within the last few weeks, um, which I'm not tremendously thrilled by, but again, we can't control the way that people choose to live their lives. So um, I understand the concern. All you can do is talk to them about your concerns and make sure you're screening them for symptoms and monitoring them for symptoms.
0: Great. And along those lines, Tony, we talked a little bit on the podcast about um, monitoring for temperature. There's some really great options, um, both online and in a lot of different um, drugstores and retailers for the infrared thermometers these days. So that would be Your recommendation is the infrared thermometer.
1: Yeah. When I say monitor for temperature, I mean, infrared thermometers because I really don't want you touching anyone. Um, I I think that that the reason why the infrared is great is because the way you can check somebody's temperature quickly without ever having to have physical contact with them. Um, I just, you know, my paranoid brain starts to spiral out of control when we're, you know, putting something in somebody's mouth or putting something in somebody's ear. You know, what if they accuse us of not changing a probe cover or not using the proper protocol or somehow injuring them or causing harm to them. I just think the infrared is the cleanest way to do it.
0: Absolutely. And for anyone on the call that's interested, Western United is working to provide those to our members. So you can go ahead and reach out to us, um, Darby, myself, or our office. It's info at wudaries.com And we will um, help you connect you with a, a good high quality and low cost infrared thermometer. Great. Do I, I don't see any other questions at the moment. Tony, is there anything else we maybe haven't covered that's kind of on the top of your brain right now?
1: Uh, not really. The thing that's most at the forefront of, of my brain is to encourage people, um, and, and not just in the dairy industry, but I've been encouraging my clients in general, um, to not necessarily have a knee-jerk reaction to a variety of circumstances that may come up and don't listen to rumors about what you're required to do and what you're not required to do um, seek out accurate information don't be afraid to ask for advice don't be afraid to ask for help i thought melissa said it very well there look no one we've never gone through this before this our society has never experienced something like this before so we are a long way off the road map at this point so there's no question that you shouldn't ask There's no time that you're bothering somebody. The only thing that that can occur is you not getting the information that you need to make a smart decision for your business. And there's a lot of things you've heard some of this uh, on this discussion today. There's a lot of things where the answers are not entirely clear. And we don't always know 100% what to do. But we're happy to talk through situations with you, talk to you about what the guidelines say and try to see what the best options are for you with a given circumstance. But don't guess. Make sure you're seeking out the resources that are available to you. And uh, The Association Western United Dairies is a great association where I know that your field representatives are extremely committed to your well-being and your success, and we're here to help them, and we're here to help you. And please, please, please do not hesitate to reach out to us. If we don't know the answer to a question, I promise you, we will tell you that we don't know, but we'll find the answer, and we'll get you that answer that you can count on.
0: Great, Tony. It looks like one of our attendees was just raising their hand, so let me um, let me unmute Curtis. Did you have a question? Uh-oh. Let's see. Did I lose him? Curt Curtis could Montero. Could you unmute yourself on your end? Okay, maybe, oh, it looks like maybe the question is in our Q&A. Let's see. Oh, no worries. He, he said he misclicked. Okay, another question in our Q&A, Tony. Um, how should dairies conduct temperature checks on employees that start at different times or shifts throughout the day or night, and by who?
1: Um, as long as the person knows how to use the thermometer, really anybody can do it. So it kind of depends on how your shift scheduling is done. Obviously, during the daytime, it's easier. Um, but, you know, you can, you, there's a lot of different ways you can do it. I mean, for example, you could have something as simple as a, a chart in the barn that the employees have to record temperature on. If you have two milkers working together, they can check each other and record that temperature. And you can train them. Look, if your temperature is above this amount, you need to call, call us right away and go home. So it doesn't have to be a supervisor. It doesn't have to be an owner. It doesn't have to be a manager. Again, it's going to vary based upon the size of the dairy and the amount of personnel that you have and the time of day. Um, But um, you can certainly have employees check each other.
0: Okay. It looks like... Um, the next question, kind of the follow up to that is, does that in any way violate the HIPAA privacy of employees?
1: No, there's no right of privacy as to their as to their temperature. Um, that's not it's not a medical record that's covered by HIPAA. Um, it's one of the reasons why I recommend the infrared thermometers because then there's no question of it being any kind of invasion because the only thing that's touching them is light. Okay. And let me put it this way. I'd rather have somebody accuse you of a privacy violation for having their coworker um, check their temperature than have somebody accuse you of not taking proper precautions in this time of pandemic.
0: Okay, great. Um, Another, I just got a question via email, Tony um, asking about if I find out that an employee of mine has tested positive for COVID-19 and have, followed all steps to ensure that they are healthy and that they are quarantining as needed. Who am I obligated to notify from the dairy? And, and we, we covered this already a little bit, but I think their question is, is leading more towards outside folks, maybe delivery people, et cetera.
1: Well, the way the guidelines are set up right now, you're only required to notify, first of all, the people who've had that close contact which I went through earlier, and then you're required to notify all your other employees. The guidelines don't really mention outside vendors, but I would say it's just even beyond legal regulation, just as a matter of human courtesy. If you have outside vendors that have had contact with a person, even limited contact with a person who um, uh, has tested positive, it's not a bad idea to let them know. And if you have a vendor that comes regularly and you've had an employee who tested positive, You could give, treat them like an employee who wasn't a close contact if they didn't have close contact and just let them know, hey, look, we had an employee who tested positive for COVID-19. We've taken all the necessary precautions. We've contact traced traced everybody. Um, You're not one of the people who had contact with this person, but we wanted to let you know. But there's no legal requirement to do that.
0: Okay. Another question. What is my leeway as far as allowing regulators onto the property for inspections? And I think this is a little bit beyond OSHA. I actually know the person asking this. More, more geared towards waterboard or airboard folks that maybe are just there doing a routine inspection.
1: Well, a lot of that depends upon what agency it is um, and, what, and what the circumstances are. I mean, technically, you can refuse access to any government agency that you want. And their remedy is to go get an investigative subpoena or a warrant. But if you do that, you are typically ramping yourself up for legal warfare. Because a lot of these agencies have different rules and different regulations. I'll use OSHA as an example. There's a statute and there's regulations that say that OSHA has a right of access to all places of labor. And if you don't allow them access they'll cite you for interference with their investigation and then you have to defend that in court now that being said i've had cases where i'll give you an example i had a case once where we had a fatality accident and osha sent out a criminal investigator to my client's facility and the client called me and i told the client not to allow the osha person to have access until i got there because i didn't want anybody talking to what is essentially a criminal investigator without, without an attorney present, which rate, cause that raises a whole lot of different constitutional issues. Uh, and in fact, the OSHA guy threatened to go get a warrant. And I said to him that, um, well, you can go get a warrant if you want, but we can set up a time for where I could be there uh, this, this same day, which seems to me to be a lot reasonable and a lot quicker than you going to get a warrant. Um, so in general, I, it usually causes more trouble then it solves to deny them access if they otherwise have a right of access under the law. Um, But if there is some high stakes reason why you don't want to allow them access, um, then you can deny them access uh, and fight it out later. Um, But my recommendation would be don't deny them access unless A, you have a really good reason to do so, or B, you have really strong legal grounds to do so. Okay. And I would just say, I would suggest that if um, any of the members want to have a more detailed conversation with me about access by different agencies, I'm happy to have that conversation, uh, but I need to know a little bit more about the circumstances.
0: Okay, great. Tony, um, another question came up. Should I notify my comp provider every time I have an employee who may test positive?
1: Um, I think it's a good idea to notify the comp carrier because we do currently, we're under a rule where um, a lot of these exposures are going to be presumed to be um, workplace exposures. Um, The the comp issue is a double-edged sword. So I know a lot of people were very upset when the governor announced that um, workers' comp was going to presume that exposures were workplace exposures. Because on one hand, that's problematic because it impacts our insurance rates. On the other hand, as a lawyer um, and a defense lawyer, I tend to worry about the apocalyptic scenario. So one of the things, one of the advantages of workers' comp is that workers' comp shields you from, as an employer, from a personal injury lawsuit from one of your employees. It's called the exclusive remedy. So a person who who develops an illness because of a workplace exposure or has an injury at work cannot sue their employer um, under personal injury laws in regular court. They are limited to the remedy of workers comp and workers comp of course is a fully insured remedy and, and it has limited financial access. You know, it doesn't have punitive damages, emotional distress, uh, all these other things that go along with a personal injury case, nor does it have liability limits like your liability insurance has. So um, while it's not a great thing to be concerned about the rise in your insurance premiums, on the other hand, you're not going to get sued by one of your employees because they claim they got workers, they got coronavirus at work. And, you know, in the balance of things, the way things are headed uh, with this whole thing, I actually really uh, am happy about the protection from lawsuits for employers because I think the next stage of all of this, as this thing shakes out through our society is we're going to start seeing, especially businesses that are open to the public, we're going to start seeing those businesses getting sued, you know, by, people who claim they got coronavirus. And the reason that they got it was because the business didn't take appropriate precautions to protect them as a member of the public when they were at that business. You know, I think you guys could all see very clearly somebody suing Walmart saying that Walmart didn't require people to wear masks. And now someone at Walmart gave me coronavirus. I think we're going to see a lot of that. And I'm glad we're not going to see it from employees suing their employers, particularly in the dairy industry. Since you guys aren't open to the public, you're not at risk for that third-party liability. Um, But, you know, I I think we could have potentially seen some things happen from, uh, from employees. So it's like all insurance. When in doubt, report it to your carrier because otherwise your carrier may deny you coverage later for your failure to report. Um, the biggest problem we're seeing with workers' comp carriers, honestly, is that they're so slow to, get, to help us get testing done and to pay for testing. Most employers that are getting testing done are just doing it on their own.
0: Okay, a question just came up, Tony. Um, uh, if, if there's a preference, um, if my employees come to me thinking that they may have been exposed or that they're feeling ill, is it better to send them to a local doctor's office or a county-sponsored coronavirus testing center?
1: The answer is it depends on where you are because the testing circumstances conditions are really different um, depending on the local area. Uh, here in Fresno, here in Fresno, where I am, um, it, the, the private clinic testing is way faster and way more efficient than any county health, any county testing centers. So folks here are, are not really, I mean, people here who want to get a test, if they can afford to pay for it themselves or their employer is paying for it, they're going straight to a private facility because it's much faster and much more efficient. So it kind of depends on where you are and what your level of urgency is.
0: Okay, great. I, I don't see any questions. If anyone else has questions, feel free to add them in the Q&A or chat. Um, real quick, Tony, maybe we'll talk about the document your office provided last week. It's been super helpful to a lot of our, um, a lot of our employers. It's um, available, we'll make it available on our web portal, but it's the COVID-19 response plan that one of your lawyers put together and it's a, a document chock full of all things that employers should know.
1: Yeah, um, Kevin Piercy, who is uh, an attorney who works for me, has been working really closely on a lot of the, the coronavirus um, response stuff that we do here. Uh, so I had Kevin put together um, an outline of a response plan for you guys, which I know you've got available to the members, and I would really encourage everybody to look at it. And again, if there's questions, if there's things that aren't clear to you, or something comes up that you don't have an answer to, let us know. I'm um, I, I, I'm here, of course, for you guys. But I've got six lawyers here that work for me. So we've got plenty of resources available to help you. Um, And I know that uh, that Melissa and Darby are tireless in their efforts to help you guys. So let us know what you need and what questions come up. And we're here to help.
0: Great. Well, we'll just give folks uh, one or two more minutes to add any questions they may have to the queue. But we can't thank you enough, Tony, for being with us today and going through all of these things, as we mentioned at the beginning, everything differs dairy to dairy. Every scenario is a little bit different. So these little, this ability to ask these questions um, really, really helps producers kind of figure out what, what works on their facility.
1: Well, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. And, um, you know, we can do this as, as often as you guys need to. And, um, to anybody who's, any of the producers who are listening, if, uh, if you guys want future Q and A's, just let Darby or Melissa know, and trust me, they, they know, they've already got my assistance contact and they'll schedule me without, without even my permission. So, um, I'm happy to be available as much as you guys need me.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. And just a, a little plug for, um, Western United Dairies. All of this information we cover today is available in our portal that's specific to each member. It's kind of a behind the paywall um, type of thing so that the information you pay for is at your fingertips. If for whatever reason you don't know how to access that, just go ahead and email our office or Darby or I, but basically it's your member number and your last name or your login credentials. We also are happy to make it available to you through email for anyone that needs it. Okay, I think we're good. Thank you so much again, Tony, for joining us. And we will make sure that everybody that attended today gets the the links that you shared and has contact information to reach out to your office. While Western United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, Please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the Western United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies' generous 2020 business sponsors Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental. PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at w-u-d-a-i-r-i-e-s.com.